intro music. I hear you. This is honestly just getting more and more fun. Now we're a real podcast because we've got a beautiful intro and some segue music and some extra surprises and all of that is being done by the one and only Westland, my hero and brother and absolute favorite jingle creator. This is the Giving Gifts podcast, really just a time to share real stories from real people who are trying to figure out how to use their gifts in this world. This is episode two, and today I'm actually going to be sharing a bit of my own story with you, giving you some context to what led to the Giving Gifts with hopes that if I share my story, you will share yours as well. question I get asked is what is the giving gifts and you would think after a few years of getting asked this question it would get easier to answer and in some ways it has I know the mission and the vision it's literally on a dry erase board right in front of me and the values are ingrained in my mind I could tell you about microloans and the projects we've helped fund and the ways we failed, or I could show you the logo and talk about the hidden G and the symbolism behind the wave. And I have a 10 second answer and a one minute answer and a five minute elevator speech that I was told was vital to make it. And yet, I don't think I've ever even used that. But I didn't start this podcast with the intent to give easy answers. I started it because... I think when there's a lot of really tough questions in our world, it requires a more in-depth consideration. So what is the giving gifts? The reason this is a tough question is because the answer is really rooted deep into who I am. The giving gifts is a reflection. It's an action. It's the only thing that I know what to do. It's all of my strengths and my weaknesses and my story. There's this Franciscan blessing I come back to a lot, and it starts out, may God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships, so that you may live deep within your heart. So today, I just I wanted to share a little bit of my story with you so that you could see that really the giving gifts is a reflection of of a lot, of a whole background, of a whole story. And I guess we'll start with how I grew up. So I grew up in a little bit of an untraditional setting. My childhood was what some might even consider a little bit chaotic. My nickname as a child was Wild Child, encompassing a girl who refused to brush her hair, wear her shoes, and struggled with following any kind of rule. At a young age, I felt the need to stand up for others. If a teacher was rude to someone or a classmate, I made sure that teacher knew what I thought about it. And the notes that would follow in the record I would carry throughout the first 17 years of my life painted this picture of a troubled, disobedient, reckless child. Moving was really the only consistent experience I can recall growing up getting to embrace different communities and people, and the definition of family never being defined merely by blood. And when I was 11, I went to a summer camp, and for maybe what I recall for the first time, I felt truly alive. If you have ever been to summer camp, you'll get this. It was a week outside of my regular, irregular life, and I loved summer camp. I still love summer camp. (laughs) 
there was this moment during my first summer camp experience that I realized that this is what I wanted to do when I grew up. I wanted to have a summer camp, a place where you were able to just exist. Outside of my small, tough world, I felt that there was a lot more hope, that there was a lot more possibility. This was the first time I had really ever even experienced any sense of purpose or worth in this world. And I would continue to chase that feeling of purpose and worth. And not always in the right places and definitely not always with the right people. And then I would somehow make my way back to that camp-like experience. And I'd be reminded that I wanted my life to add up to something greater than being another statistic. So camp in the church world is kind of like a gateway drug. And this drug led me to being super involved. So youth groups, volunteering, Sundays, and eventually it led to me wanting to go on a global mission trip. And this is where being the youngest of three girls in a single parent home had its perks. At 12, when I asked if I could leave the country for a week on a trip that I would raise support for, the answer was pretty much, yeah, go for it. Here's a bag. My first trip was to Venezuela. And I can honestly say it changed my life. If camp was marijuana, then Venezuela was like heroin. This dream to one day have a camp was expanding. And now this camp would be in a different country and it wouldn't just be for kids who had the money to afford to go to camp. It would be for kids like me, the ones who needed the scholarships, the outcasts, for the fosters and the orphans, the special needs kids, the ones who had the records. And this high would carry me through most of my adolescent experience. Showing up to youth group or volunteering, going to camp, going on mission trips would be what got me through the life that was existing behind that image. There was depression and addictions and inconsistencies. I was failing classes, losing friends, losing family, ultimately losing childhood. It was almost as if I was living in different universes and I wasn't even quite sure where my place was in either. At my high school graduation, my guidance counselor, quote unquote, (laughs) looked me in the eyes and said, well, I guess miracles do exist. So I gave her knuckles rather than the handshake and accepted some piece of paper that meant I was now allowed to proceed in the world. Naturally, the day after I graduated, I left for a 10-day trip, which really turned into two months of living in Ecuador. And reluctantly, I did come back to the States where I went to a private Christian university I honestly had never imagined college being an option. I mean, I graduated high school with a solid 1.8 GPA, um, and I went to college on a theater scholarship for improv. I hadn't even done a lot of theater. I was just good at making things up on stage. I also didn't really have a great understanding of loans. So at 17, I signed some papers and was given a private loan with a 28% interest rate. (laughs) Yes, that is a lesson I am still learning from. And these next two years would be really some of the most fun and challenging 
and rewarding years. So during the summer, I got a job at a camp. And I honestly think I learned more during the summers than I did during the academic year. But these years were enriched with deep and meaningful relationships that came with a really high cost. For the first time in my life, I was being called out for being guarded and protected, even unavailable, emotionless. From therapy to committed relationships and just a deep sense of wanting to know others and be known, I slowly began to share bits of my story with the people around me. And after two years and a lot of loans, I was faced with a really tough choice. Traditional college just wasn't the best choice for me. So I moved to South Orange County, ended up working full-time, hanging out with the cutest four-month-old kiddo, and I began to dig into the studies of psychology. I jumped back into a church community, full force, found my place serving junior high students, my favorite people in the world, learning from the leadership of a man who I would learn to call my mentor, who would become not just a great friend, but a father figure. And while my friends were turning 21 and going out on adventures, you could find me inviting myself over to different families' houses for dinner, learning more and more about this idea of what family meant and what family looked like. One of the elements that originally attracted me to the community that I was plugged into was their consideration for the things happening around the world. I had an opportunity to go on a lot of short-term trips. One of those was in Costa Rica where we got to partner with this camp that was specifically for at-risk youth in the most magical rainforest that was above the clouds. To this day, I think it's one of the most beautiful places I have seen in the world. And during the trip, I was approached and offered this job to actually stay and work at the camp. Literally, my entire lifelong dream was unfolding. And the strangest experience would happen when I, without a doubt, knew that this wasn't the right time or place for me to be. I have never been so confused and sure of anything. If it wasn't here, where would it be? I had never felt like I totally fit in anywhere in this world. There are bits and pieces of different cultures and people groups that have shaped me and formed me. And with determination after this experience, I just wanted to find a place in the world where I'd be a good fit. At this point, I had been studying cognitive therapy with an emphasis of trauma and childhood development. So I looked at demographics on where these resources could be used, and I decided that I wanted to spend some time in Africa. Trust me, I realize how stereotypical this sounds, and I hated it. But if I couldn't find a place where I fit in in North America or South America, maybe I would find that in Africa. And in preparation for this trip, I read the book When Helping Hurts. I had so much tension reading this book. It dug into how ineffective short-term mission trips are and how, in fact, my own behavior had probably done a lot more harm than it had done good. Up until this point, I was 100% that person who was willing to give my bag off my back to anybody who needed it. And not even because I'm a good person, 
but because my whole identity and worth it was wrapped up in being a person that helps others. And this book was telling me that these behaviors haven't actually really helped anyone. In fact, these behaviors have probably hurt people and hurt communities. Don't worry, though, I still went to Africa. Mostly because I was desperate to learn, and maybe a little bit because I just really wanted to see a baby elephant. <laughs> Over the next four months, I got to learn and see from seriously so many different people and different angles. And with the words of when helping hurts on my mind, I began to see the residual effects of charity right in front of me. I sat at the table with a grown man who with shame told me that he every day is reminded of how he failed when he looks out and sees these dead chickens from a chicken coop that was so generously donated. Literally, I'm telling you, hundreds of dead chickens. And he had attempted to keep them alive on land where chickens could never survive. I watched child after child experience loss when groups would come and play and leave behind socks and lollipops and make these promises that they would come back or even adopt and simply to just leave. But none of this came close to my experience I'd have with a young girl whose name was Tia. Tia was 13 years old and was by far the most brilliant human I have ever met in my life. She had taught herself English, worked through the entirety of a 1999 trigonometry book, and was at the point where she was teaching her peers because her teachers were out of curriculum for her. So I asked Tia what she wanted to do when she grew up, and she told me that she really wanted to be a nurse, and I instinctively affirmed that. I saw so much in her. I told her how smart I thought she was and how I honestly believed she could do anything. And then I watched her face change, and I saw this shift that I really wasn't familiar with. Tia began to cry, and let me tell you, these girls don't cry easily. Like, They would be in the middle of telling me stories about watching their parents die or living on the streets or losing their friends, and they would have zero emotion attached. Tia, can you tell me what you were experiencing? She covered her her whole head and said no, that I wouldn't want to look at her. So sitting with Tia, I told her, there's nothing you can say that's going to shake me. And she looked up. And I remembered like tears just running down her face and the words that she spoke are still so clear in my mind. I want to be a nurse. And to be a nurse, I have to go to college. And to go to college, I need money. So I slept with a man to get money and he didn't pay me. What do I do when prostitution fails? I lied to Tia that day when I told her there wasn't anything she could say that would shake me. I was totally shook. So when I got back from Africa, I knew that I had to do something. This experience changed everything. And I looked at nonprofits and churches and organizations all over the world trying to find one that was committed to challenging the way things were currently being done. I looked at how much money and resources are being sent to places all over the world. And I noticed how the statistics, they're not changing. I was angry and sad and frustrated and so determined to shed light 
on the exploitation of people and communities. And I had no idea what I was doing, but I knew I needed to do something, so I gave it a name, and I called it Cassidy's Project. Just kidding. That was a joke. I actually hate when people call this a project. I named it The Giving Gifts. I shared this vision with a friend, and I was totally prepared for this friend to tell me it was a terrible idea, but that's not what they told me. In fact, he actually told me he believed in this idea of the giving gifts, and all of a sudden, I had another person on board. And if I had known that starting an organization with another person was going to be what I imagine now to marriage to be like, I would have probably thought about it a little bit longer, but I didn't. These first two years of the giving gifts were just an adrenaline rush. It was taking all of the most vulnerable parts of who I am and putting it out on the table. It was creative and analytical and passion-driven. It was full of failing and trusting and believing, being disappointed, hurrying up to wait. It was trying to stay focused on the why, all the while trying to fit into the government box of a 501c3. Okay, it took nine months to apply for the 501c3 and another 12 months to get approval like like I could have made a baby in that time (laughs) it wasn't till the end of 2018 that the giving gifts was an approved 501c3 and over the last few years I've learned so much and if I'm being honest I've had multiple moments where I have asked if I should just give up and do something different entirely and then I get asked again what is the giving gifts And as I take a deep breath and I give one of the prepared answers, I simultaneously remember that the giving gifts will forever be so much more than an organization. The giving gifts is that wild child who will always stand up for other people. The giving gifts is a misunderstood teenager who's just trying to figure out who they are. The giving gifts is about navigating your place in this world. The giving gifts is knowing that you're not actually broken and you do not need to be fixed. That your weakness and your shortcomings are all part of your story and your story is a gift. The giving gifts is about sharing your story and Tia's story and the stories of so many in the world who who may not ever get heard but need to be paid attention to. And it's about inspiring the use of those gifts because when you use your gift... When you get to live out what you were created for, well, that does something. That changes something. That inspires the use of another person's gifts. And it's a residual effect, a compounding hope, a gift that will continue to give. It's what you want. If you brighten up your Oh, hey, do you know what happens when you drive a Subaru into an ocean? It becomes a Scoobaroo. (laughs) Scoobaroo.